passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Pollock and Thurston. I am John Pollock, joined as always by Brandon Thurston from the WrestleNomics headquarters. Brandon, welcome back. I'm here. You are here. It is lunchtime, and we have a very special guest with us to dive into the enchanting world of television sports rights. Uh, He is the head of Craig's Media, a former executive at Fox Sports, a heavy hitter joining us today. Pat Craigs is with us. And Pat, thank you so much for taking some time uh, to join us. Um, I, I have uh, done my research in, into you. And Pat, you are uh, maybe maybe as smart a mind as we are about to pick here. Not not setting goals too lofty here. But I mean, uh, I'm very much looking forward to speaking to you today. Well, um, it's a pleasure to be here, guys. I, I appreciate the compliments. I'm certainly a hitter. I don't know about heavy. <laughs> I, I, certainly, I certainly can hit you. I'll, I'll hit you. Uh, I'm not quite sure how much damage I'll do. Exactly. But I, I appreciate that. It's, it's great to be here on the uh, what I would consider the Dick Cavett of combat sports show uh, here in the uh, in the 2020s. So well, I, I will give all that credit to uh, to, one, to one Brandon Thurston. He is he is pro wrestling's uh, Dick Cavett. I, I feel he would, he would certainly <laughs> take that moniker. I wanted to start just sort of the big picture, Pat, as you know, we are looking, you know, obviously me and Brandon kind of come from the, the professional wrestling side of things. But when we see, you know, the NBA rights that are going to be such a, a massive um, deal uh, coming up mm-hmm. in the next few years, what are some of the stories or rights deals that excite you that you are following with the most interest uh, at, at the moment as we're we seem to always be in such an interesting time period when it comes to the linear versus streaming model in there seems to be a, a lot of appetite for people for digging in and learning more about this. Yeah, look, um, I don't. I think it's safe to say that sports media overall has never been more valuable, and that's across every kind of faucet that it exists. Right? Whether it's 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 in um, telecasting events, whether it's in commentary, whether it's in owning venues and live events, it, there's been a lot of 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 investment and value that has, that has been created over the past 10 years in sports media um, as an attempt to try to draft off of the increase in, in kind of what I would call the experiential economy. Um, music's part of that travels, part of that. It got disintermediated by COVID of course. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that folks have kind of um, uh, learned to kind of view their leisure time as kind of valuable. So they want to spend it doing things, right? Things they enjoy, things that entertain them, uh, that's going to places, that's watching things that they find exciting. So sports media fits into that and it's drifted upward along with that. So capital, 
uh, has obviously flowed there, and that finds its way into media rights, which are the the apex way in which sports media kind of displays its valuation. Because without the ability to reach mass audience, um, brands can't be built. Um, um, you can't make you. Know, you have tons of fans. Most NFL fans have never been inside an NFL stadium. Most UFC fans haven't gone to a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, they way they primarily end, even ones that do go regularly to events. They primarily interact with most of these sports through media, right? In particular, through telecasting of live events. So, so yeah, I'm excited to see how NASCAR and the NBA do. I'm also excited to see how both uh, elements of TKO are going to do, which includes the UFC and and the WWE. And, and um, when Nick Khan did an interview uh, a few weeks ago with Lightshed, he mentioned how his view is sort of that. The, the sort of the middle tier sports properties in, in media, they, they might be under pressure soon, but properties above that, he, he apparently includes WWE in that, um, they'll, they'll be okay, at least in the near term. So I was wondering, do you have a view on that? And, and what is what, what would these middle tier properties be that he's thinking of? So for me, I tend to group sports media properties into three buckets, tiers one, two, and three. And tier, tier one is, is anyone who can get somebody else to pay them um, for their media rights, uh, which basically ensures them in getting a multi-year contract, contractual amount of economics, right, which changes your business fundamentally. Um, tier two would be kind of uh, media properties that deliver reasonable audiences, have large segments that pay a lot of attention to them. Um, and maybe sometimes they get a small rights fee or a rights fee, but they have other aspects of their business model where they take more risk, but they execute on. So a great example of this would be another Endeavor property like the Pro Bull Riders who Endeavor bought for $100 million. They had built their business on a time by media buy, uh, media kind of model. Uh, Endeavor bought them and they didn't abandon that model. Today, they're worth a billion dollars. Um, they still do time buys with CBS, right? National Hot Rod Association fills into that. So these are, and sometimes tier twos become tier ones. And the UFC is an example of a tier two that became a tier one, right? Um, and then tier three is kind of everybody else who who um, can create tremendously viable models. There's never been more of them. They they buy media time. They find ways to organize and hold their events. Uh, and and it's never been a better time to be a tier three property. I mean, think of all the diverse. Just turn on your programming guide uh, if you have linear television on any Saturday or Sunday, and look at all the different sports networks, and you'll find everything from cornhole to rock climbing to to uh, new you know uh, uh, dog fighting. So slap fighting, yeah, slap fighting, yes, yeah, slap, yes, slap fighting. America's new stingiest sport. Um, slap fighting is is out there, and um, the, these folks use different kinds of models. Um, but they don't get rights fees to build value. And um, and that's kind of the buckets I put them into. And I think what Nick's talking about um, is actually completely tier one. And tier one's got maybe 10 to 15 sports in it in the United States. It's the smallest group, right? And in that bucket, there's one property that lives by itself, the NFL. They kind of transcend everything. Okay, so they're their own. They take them out. They They're not an example for anybody. Really, they're not. They're their own thing. Um, and I think what Nick was talking about was, you know, there's different grades of tier one, right? There's some people like the NBA who are going to 
double their media rights or do 50 to 60% on their media rights because they deliver millions of viewers with all this inventory across an eight month period to include playoff games. Uh, they air on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Friday nights. You know, everybody wants to be on Saturday, but you know, if you can deliver millions of viewers on a Tuesday night, it gives you tremendous value. The NBA, you know, is going to get um, their, their value, but at the lower end of the tier one kind of, um, uh, 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 category. There are sports media properties that get media rights, but they may not grow their rights. Um, the problem isn't so much losing your rights. The problem is what is there's been a large anticipation among most tier one sports media properties that they would do very large rates increases. If you went, if you went back five years ago and you, and you were a tier one sports media property across the board, you were probably expecting to double your media rights in your next negotiation. And um, I think what Nick's talking about is thanks to the decline in the pay TV bundle, which was a fabulous system, a natural monopoly system that that basically was enormously profitable for 30 years and and threw off a, a great amount of economic value and content costs followed that. That's that's stopped. Right. Um, that that system is is in decline, secular decline. And the new system that's replaced it or is 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 right now working incrementally to it, but is, uh, you know, going to, is becoming, uh, you know, going to probably replace it. The digital distribution, uh, you know, which streaming is the main way to do it, uh, does not produce the kind of profits that the natural monopoly pay TV bundle did. As a matter of fact, it, it, it really produces none right now when you look at it all in. There's examples of people who make a great living streaming, including first mover on the entertainment side, Netflix, but they had to borrow tens of billions of dollars and quite frankly, the economics aren't that fabulous of that business. And that's a feature, not a bug of streaming. And so the revenue isn't as big as it used to be, but the content costs haven't adjusted. So those have to do something. Either revenue's got to go up somehow to some replica multiple of the old system or content costs have to adjust. And that doesn't mean that the NFL goes backwards and the NBA goes backwards or the UFC or the WWE go backwards. But what it might mean is that you don't get all the growth you want, or we go flat. And we've seen examples of it already. On the entertainment side, it's very obvious. Everybody's cutting back on content spend, right? On the sports media side, take a look at a property like Thursday Night Football. So the NFL is its own thing, right? But it's established packages of which Thursday Night Football is a late stage peak bundle package, right? That never really had a true home. It didn't have anybody inside the established system that wanted it. So it turned to a new incremental provider in Amazon who gave it a great bump up off of $650 million and it left the established system and the established players were not sorry to see it go. They, they just simply couldn't drive any value with it. That's counter narrative to when the idea that the Amazons and the apples of the world were going to outbid everybody for this content. They haven't outbid anybody for any content. What they've been doing is they've been taking the pieces of the content inside the established system. The established system doesn't want anymore. Thursday night football goes behind the Amazon multiple paywalls and it's viewing goes down 40% because there's some kind of hit to take for that. Right. But the league got their money. So they're happy. And Amazon's happy because they're experimenting major league soccer, major league soccer wanted $300 million from its established partners. They said no. So it pivoted to Apple. It gets 250 million. But Apple represents less than 1% of all minutes consumed across all platforms of video minutes. So the reach has to go down. So there's, there's a price to pay to, for doing that. That doesn't mean it's wrong. 
doesn't mean it's not the future. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you have to take risks because you're doing something new. So when we when Nick was talking about kind of what was going to happen with the media rights fees of of some properties, unlike the UFC or the WWE, he was talking about that reduced growth um, um, or no growth or having to accept some kind of change in the business model from the established reach and rights to conditional rights with unproven or un, uncategorized reach, right? Um, and, and, and figuring out a new model, which can be risky. And the PAC-12 is a great example of this. Here you have a Power 5 conference. I know USC and UCLA are living, but still – there's probably, you know, in this, this this year's top 25 for college football preseason, there'll be three or four of those teams in that conference that are staying that'll be in the rankings, and they're having trouble finding a home to grow their media rights. So I think that's what Nick was talking about, and I see the world exactly the way he does for the reasons I explained. We've got this revenue content cost mismatch. Something's got to adjust. It doesn't mean people have to go backwards, but at the very least, it means that the growth has to stop or decelerate. When you're looking at a lot of these different entities from an ESPN on downward from the outside looking in, it feels as though for years, it has been this embracing of streaming being the future and pushing your audience towards that. And now it seems like there's a bit more of just what you outlined that, Hey, we're trading in one fantastic business for a lesser one, at least. And it seems that there is a bit of a realization. Is that similar to what you've observed that there's sort of a look at, you know, where cable is going and is streaming going to be at least in the, in the next decade, as big as projected a few years ago? Yeah. I, I, how can you say streaming is the future, but it's not going to be the same business. That's what's really happening. And originally the thesis was this is going to be kind of a one for one value shift. And, um, and and it's not going to be it's not going to be that problematic and it's going to happen fast and um and there'll be lots of new players that were not what i call non-traditional who built their businesses digitally on on businesses outside of media like apple and amazon and they're just going to buy this stuff because it makes sense to use as marketing for their services and then the established media companies will also follow along um and the truth of the matter is the business just doesn't generate the economics of the old one and that's because the old one was like a utility. It was a natural, but it had rate, local rate regulation, government acquiescence in its profits. Um, you're not going to recreate that on the digital side. And everybody's coming to that conclusion. Um, all the content's fractionalized everywhere. Uh, and, and, and because it doesn't make any money, the prices of everything that were once cheap have to go up on the digital side. Uh, and, 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 but then you say, well, we can fix it through consolidation. Well, the government may not let you consolidate. The government in the UK just stopped the the Activision uh, Microsoft merger this morning. Was it overestimated because people the market just expected more subscribers than than we've got now, and Netflix is basically leveling off? Yeah, look, I think what happened was is that Netflix kind of took the folks who pay a lot of attention to media but aren't really inside it, uh, Wall Street. Um, um, much of the the media itself that reports on business and things like that. Netflix looked like something that was uh, early. Netflix looked like um, this is what the future looks like. All these subs, um, they're all loyal. They're they're consuming a lot of content. They're generating a lot of economics that you can borrow against, which is what Netflix did to get the content. And everybody kind of thought, well, that's just going to be what the business is, and this looks fabulous. 
The truth of the matter is, though, that um, when you look back on it now, you see that it was kind of a head fake. Netflix is a fabulous business, one of the most important business stories in American history, probably world business history. And the truth of the matter is, is that the Netflix that launched its its streaming service, you know, launched with a content library of near, you know, a huge content library of near everything, cheap prices off the back of one of the most successful mail order businesses of all time that they auto enrolled everyone in. Does not exist anymore. Mm -hmm. A lot of the library content, which is the most viewed we've learned inside of streaming services, have been cobbled back by the media players with their hundred year libraries, right? And they have um, they've launched their own services that are like one fifth of the old pay TV bundles content costs with no sports, and they're all struggling. And Netflix itself, it's you know, it's sub sub growth uh, has has basically ended in the United States. They make some sub growth, but it's streaming became a mature business overnight the second everybody else showed up, which kind of is characteristic of not having an economic mode around the business directionally. And um, and it's very expensive to make the content. The exp- content costs haven't gone any lower. Having a bunch of players that want to now develop content exclusively for this new distribution system means there's competition for scarce talent. Because the truth of the matter is, is that when you look at entertainment content or sports media content, most of it isn't elite level. I mean, most of the entertainment content ever created, guys, is not worth watching. There was a reason why when I was at Fox on the entertainment side, you commissioned 30 pilots a year. Because maybe one or two of them is going to work. And that's when you had only you had five or six media companies that kind of worked together cooperatively, competitively cooperation to do development. Um, so, you know, the idea that you can just spend a bunch of money and crank out content because you've got some viewing data is, quite frankly, been challenged. And it's the same thing on the sports side. Some things are worth paying a lot for and some things are not worth paying as much. And when the pay TV bundle was around and everybody was in it and it was going up and the economics were growing every year, well, you kind of just paid the bills for the content. Made sense. Now everybody's having to take a harsh look at it because at the end of the day, you just can't lose money forever on these things. I mean, on the entertainment side, it seems like everybody loses $750 billion every quarter more than they did before. That's going to slow down now because everybody's taking the axe to the development budgets, but it's given pause to what you spend on sports for 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 standalone streaming. And by the way, Amazon and Apple aren't looking to bail out the media business. They they didn't get their 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 hundred billion dollar cash balance sheets uh, by making bad decisions. Um, this is this is largely an experiment for them. They're trying to sort out where the value is. And these companies enter and exit experiments, billion dollar experiments all the time. They could end, exit media tomorrow and they would be fine with it. It's not they're Fox. about to acquire yeah. Paramount or Fox or something like that. Yeah, they, 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 they could do lots of things. They could buy one of those guys. They don't really know exactly how the value between investing in media and their other businesses are going to work. They think there's something there. But I'll give you a great example. Uh, when I left Fox, I went into the music business for multiple years, did, did decently there. Um, when I came in, everybody was like, oh, man, Ticketmaster is going to get crushed by Amazon. Amazon's going to crush Ticketmaster. They got all this data. Now, I'm a data guy. I started out a data guy. I became a programmer and a strategist and, 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 a, and negotiator. Uh, and so I know all about data. I love data. But this idea that somehow because you've got data, you win. It's how you use the data, and a lot of data isn't useful. And, you know, having more data is not necessarily better data. That said, I'd like to have more data. 
But they, they, six months after everybody was telling me that, they exited the ticketing business because ticketing business because they couldn't compete with Ticketmaster. And by the way, after we did our first couple shows in Invivo, I understood why because Ticketmaster was our partner because um, Ticketmaster knew what they were doing, and they 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 could give you things that nobody else could give you, including Amazon. So these companies invest lots of money and take lots of risk and experiments. And and they're not necessarily going to be the solution to the problem. And the big media companies are probably, they have to stay and invest in these digital platforms. But the point is well taken, John. The question is, how much do you invest in the new platform while trying to keep the old platform's economics going so you can build the new platform? And how long is that going to take? And nobody knows the answer to that. I wanted to also go back and look at, you know, with WWE and UFC, you can see so many parallels in how these businesses are run and why they are so attractive to networks. You having firsthand knowledge, seeing the UFC coming to Fox in 2012, how did you view that property at the beginning of that deal and seeing what it exploded into and then being sold in 2016? Well, I want to say regarding uh, uh, Endeavor and the UFC, I'm one of the, I, I joined the ranks of elite people who've been thrown out of Ari Emanuel's office. Oh, so I just want to say I've been thrown out of a meeting with Ari, along with like Randy Freer and Eric Shanks and Mike Hopkins. So I've got some. I was the lowest ranking guy in that meeting. You're trying to warn them about the streaming business. Was a, yeah. what was the cause of this? I didn't know I was sitting next to Ari. I kind of was like a wild, like oh, hi, I can't. I'm great. It's so exciting to be here today. Right. And he threw us all out. Um, but anyway, that was during the UFC negotiation. Anyway, um, uh, you know, um, I look, I thought that the UFC was a great investment um, when Fox partnered with them. Eric had developed Eric Shanks had developed that relationship when he was at Direct TV. He brought it over with him and it was a very successful partnership. It was one of the key cornerstones of being able to turn speed into Fox Sports One, which was a multi-billion dollar valuation exercise for for 21st Century Fox, 21 CF at that time, now Fox. And so, um, you know, we we believed and saw the value. Um, but, you know, we were strictly licensing the content. And I think one of the things that ESPN was able to do that, that Fox wasn't able to do was that they were able to offer, um, though Fox did try to look at this and tried to figure out a way to do this, they, they with ESPN Plus, they were able to put together a successful way to air pay-per-views pay a large enough license fee to Endeavor and the UFC that that meant that the UFC could take the risk of operating individual live events off the table for themselves, which they were still doing when they were at Fox. And they could focus in on simply running the business, right? ESPN pays them a license fee and accepts kind of the risk on the pay-per-views. And then the UFC on uh, participates on the upside over a certain threshold. And that is a great model. And if you listen to anything Ari says, he always talks about stable cash flows. And that's a stable cash flow. So, um, you know, the UFC was able, well, that was always possible for somebody to monetize with UFC. ESPN figured out how to do it. It really basically gave ESPN Plus a reason to exist in the early years of that deal. And um, the UFC has been able to expand and maintain the quality of their content because they control basically most of the quality mixed martial arts fighting in the United States and in the world. And Dana can make the fights that matter in an efficient manner. So, uh, you know, it was great to be a part of helping build that. Um, Dana and Craig Borsari were great people to get to, to know and work with, but um, they made the right move in going to ESPN because it, 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 it enabled them to focus more in on building the business, uh, which is making great fights 
and servicing fans and learning less about risk on every single pay-per-view. ESPN took that risk off the table by paying the rights fee they did. So in this next itineration, in this next rights fee negotiation that's going to probably start at the end of this year, I would look for them to do that even more. And, and that's where it gets interesting because certainly ESPN is a great home for the UFC. But because of the worldwide pay-per-view possibilities, one of the non-traditional digital players, this may actually be an acquisition that makes a lot of sense to them. For, for, for Disney to look at purchasing UFC? Well, for the Disney, Disney to re-up and renew, yes. But for Apple and Amazon, you know, the pay-per-view aspect of the UFC and even the WWE on a worldwide basis mm-hmm. has to be very appealing because that's something that sits inside. That's something they can actually do. Right. So you think about an Apple, if they acquired UFC rights on a worldwide basis, they could offer the pay-per-views on every, you know, they could lever their device um, penetration uh, in a way that um, is synergistic to their creation of devices and their core business, which they're, you know, they're a device manufacturing company. So how do those pay-per-view, I think those pay-per-views have good synergy with that. I think the same with Amazon and the products that they offer. So it's going to be very interesting. Um, you know, the non-traditional players, aside from Thursday Night Football, haven't really knocked the park out with any real strategic acquisitions, right? It hasn't, they haven't fit the narrative, right? Five years ago, Facebook was going to own the NFL. That was literally it. That was literally, I think I was quoted in some NBC News article about um, when, I, when, I, when I first started consulting after I was done with InVivo, um, about how Facebook was clearly going to have the entire NFL. Clearly. Clearly. Facebook was going was to book on or bid on WWE, and they were doing Mixed Match Challenge at the time. Yeah. At, and I express skepticism, but when I think about the pay-per-view business of both the WWE and the UFC, I think that that adds – that has some synergy with what both those two non-traditional digital players – it fits into their other businesses as a marketing tool really efficiently. So it's going to be WWE back to pay-per-view. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think you could see um, somebody take a run at it, try to get it away from Disney, assuming the nature of the back-end rights allow that, right? Which are always important to know. Back-end rights are the rights that the person you have the deal with has to match an offer or, or, or as an exclusive window, they get a right of first refusal. You have to bring a deal to them, right? Before you can go out and negotiate with anyone else. But I, I think it's going to be very interesting with both the UFC and the WWE, because I think they are going to attract some interest from a non-traditional digital player. I think they will. And, and this is the Peacock deal will be ending, I think, March 2026, and the UFC deal will expire someplace close to that. So they will be, their new favorite word is coterminous, and they may be negotiated together. Yeah, I don't know about that. So so, so that's interesting, right? You could, I, and I knew that. I mean, you could say that, but I just don't think that the UFC will wait for the WWE unless they're going to stay with their current partners. So if you're going to sync them up together and try to do them as one deal, I, that so first of all, that might take some people off the table. That's just a lot of lumber. So one of the things we're going, going back to the things that John brought up earlier, you know, as we start having to be more selective of where we place strategic levels of capital, if you do that kind of investment, you probably can't do an investment somewhere else. And when you look at your portfolio, one of the, every media company, and, and to include Amazon, Apple, and whomever, has a, a portfolio. And their portfolios are slightly different, or, or in some cases, very different. And if you invest in one thing, you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily able to invest in something else. 
And so that takes your ability to, you know, um, probably acquire something else off the table. Right. So you can do it. So I don't know if that'll happen, Brandon. I get that. Because it would be so expensive to get them together. They're a year apart. It'd be expensive. Maybe in the future. Right. Maybe you do like a four or five year deal with one and you'd sync them up later. So that option's there for you. But depending on the nature of the back end rights, I would suspect that there's strong that the UFC would stay with Disney. So I think that they're going to have people interested. And with the WWE, I would think that there's strong reason for them to stay with NBC. The question is, will they stay with Fox? And that was going to be my next question is that so much is under this umbrella of NBC Universal and even the unique promotion that on Fox, they are directing you to their monthly event on Peacock as well. Yeah. And how you look at th- this two hour block and kind of like Fox's thoughts of like what replaces this programming and has this I- is this a relationship they want where so much is under a, a competitor of like the Smackdown just be something that. NBC Universal would want to take all of this in house. Yeah, I, look, um, look, the SmackDown's doing two million viewers on Fox on Friday night. It's broadcast television. It's huge exposure. It, it fits into the portfolio of what Fox is currently doing, which is largely live sports and news. So it fits a real strategic. It's a good strategic fit. Um, the gang at Fox has a lot of folks who love wrestling, and I think that they really treat it well. I mean, you're not going to be able, if you leave that kind of ecosystem, if you're the WWE, you're not going to be able to place it somewhere else. I don't think, right? Exactly. The problem is, I think, for Fox is, um, you know, to, to really allocate a lot of strategic capital, they, they need strong advertising. But what they really need is the ability, of, for example, if they're going to keep it on Friday night, to get distributors to give them some kind of retransmission fee bump for it, for the broadcast affiliate. So you get some fee-based revenue there. Um and it's they don't have that right now. They haven't been able to secure that from the distributors. So, um, so with that in mind, more about be- about how that's how, how that works. You and I had a conversation probably a couple of years ago where you you basically taught me how these these revenue streams work, and that there's obviously advertising, which everybody talks about, and the ad rates that that Raw or SmackDown get. Um, but many, especially the NFL, right? They they. They're, the networks that air the NFL have agreements with the, the cable or satellite carriers to, we, we guarantee you that we're going to carry the NFL and you're going to pay us X amount of dollars for that. If, if I'm, if I'm getting yeah. that right, what you're saying is W doesn't have that at least for SmackDown. Yeah. So, so, um, so the way it works with any pay TV channel or with any broadcast channel today is basically you say, look, I've got this entity that broadcasts this portfolio of content. And I think it has value. I think it has an overall value. Then there are elements inside of it that I think we should talk about also having their own value. So uh, in the case of ESPN, ESPN has the college football playoffs. So ESPN has all this content and the pay TV distributors say, okay, that's worth a certain value. And then ESPN says, well, look, I also have the, an NBA conference final and the college football playoff. I think they're worth, you know, if I make $9 a month, I think they're worth a dollar more than that, right? Or I think they're worth a dollar of that. So um, um, uh, that that's the, and the distributors say, okay, we agree to that. And we, there, these deals are, are, and that those deals apply to any 
pay TV channel, and they also apply to broadcast television networks where the local affiliates negotiate fees with distributors. Um, that in the case if the if the media company owns them, they directly get those fees. And in the case if it's a broadcast affiliate, right? Because like Fox has two hundred affiliates, they only own about twenty eight of them. Um, they they kick back a portion of their retransmission fees called reverse retransmission comp to the network, and um, that's how the NFL is paid for. Um, the NFL is almost all most of that new NFL deal is almost all driven by retransmission fees, which are similar to pay TV fees, but a little a little different because broadcast technically reaches everybody with a with a TV home in the United States. So you have greater reach about 10 or 15 million more homes than pay TV. So ABC reaches 10 to 15 more million people, million homes than ESPN. So um, and that's where the real money is now, because um those are still remain the high, highly viewed, right? Even though the viewing has gone down, they're the highest viewed outlets. And, and the viewing on those broadcast networks put streaming to st- shame. They beat the living crap out of it on an average minute viewing basis still. So distributors find value there. So in the case of SmackDown, you see when the 2 million, 2 million viewers every Friday night, you see the advantage of reach in primetime on broadcast television. Advertisers recognize that reach, right? You're reaching a lot of people. They're younger, blah, blah, blah. We'll pay you for that. The distributors haven't yet said, you know what? We think that's worth enough that we want to say we're giving you eight bucks a month for your affiliates. And now we want to give you $8.50. Now, one of the tricks is you, when you negotiate with a distributor, you're negotiating your portfolio. So sometimes properties come along with a real apex property like the NFL, but if you're Fox and you're paying a lot of money for the WWE and you do your P&L, um, you know, how many revenue sources do you have? You've got a rights fee that you're paying that goes out. Then you've got your advertising. But then you've got a big hole because you have no no fee revenue. Typically for the top properties, advertising is 30% of what you're paying in your rights fee. The rest of it comes back from retransmission or pay TV fees from distributors, which are multi-year contractual. So advertising, remember, is cyclical. Every year you do it over, okay? That's why in recessions, advertising revenue goes down. So it's hard to plan for it. It's variable. But when you do a contract with pay TV distributors for fees, they come in regardless of the economy. They're multi-year. The check arrives. And that gives the business stability. So that's why the biggest properties that draw the most viewers are the most valuable distributors get large rights fees because the pay TV distributors will pay up for that viewing on multi-year basis contractually instead of just relying. And then you don't have to rely only on advertising, which is cyclical. So, so for Fox, the trick is, do they think they can start getting some value out of fees with this, right? Or are they doing well enough with their investments in the NFL and the big 10 with retransmission fees that they don't need to worry about that with the WWE and they want to keep it there because Definitely the WWE is going to want to bump. And also for Fox, when they get done with the WWE, um, they have a NASCAR negotiation, NASCAR strategic to them. NASCAR gets them pay TV and retransmission fees. And then they have to turn around and begin to look at Major League Baseball. So these are the kind of things you think about if you're managing a portfolio of content at a media company. And you have to figure out what you're going to pay for, you're not going to pay for. So it'll be interesting to see it. My inclination is Fox would want to keep this, but the truth of the matter is they may decide that they don't have to because of some of the other investments they've made, which, and if I'm NBC, there's some incentives 
to look at taking the whole thing. Right. And, um, and, and that may become an opportunity for them. And also much like the UFC, if I'm an Amazon or an Apple or any other digital, you know, uh, carmax.com, uh, whoever decides to get into media, right. Um, there may be some value to, to, to acquiring a property like the WWE because of the opportunity to redo pay-per-views on a scale basis worldwide. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. And it would so seem the- from the WWE side, and sort of what you've outlined here, is that reach probably has a lot more importance than five years ago when you're looking at this. Um, F1's an example as well, sticking with ESPN when reportedly... They had a, a larger monetary offer on Netflix, and there's a lot of synergy there with Drive to Survive. But Reach has a, a high premium, and I would state that with the loss of cable homes, broadcast outlets are something a lot that just are escalating in value, I would say. Well, that you bring that up, right? So, you know, Fox and ESPN and Amazon are managing portfolios. Well, the WWE is managing a portfolio too. So they've got content. They've got different partners. They've got different types of vehicles. They do different kind of audience profiles, different kind of economic models that flow through that. And your point about reach is well taken. I mean, your WWE, Fox is huge. I mean, we're on broadcast television for two hours in primetime, you know, 51 or 50 weeks out of the year. And um, the amount of promotion, they're a good partner in Fox. They're a good partner, right? Um, they, they treat us as core. That's a, something else too. They treat us as core. They pay us a lot of money and we can promote all our other content. To your point, we can promote stuff on Peacock. <laughs> sure. And, um, you know, how do we replace that? And the answer is NBC might be able to offer them something, right? That's one of the things that makes NBC so interesting because NBC has broadcast, pay TV, and streaming assets. They have what I call the TriCast distribution system. Fox doesn't. Fox doesn't have a streaming platform. They have Tubi, but it's not quite like what the, the sub fee slash ad supported model of Peacock. Um, so, so, um, so, so, so the WWE has to look at its portfolio as well and losing Fox. Are they okay with that? Are they okay with losing reach? Right. Or can they find another partner that would be prepared to give them a night of prime time in the same kind of, all outweigh Fox does, which is hard to see, but maybe NBC could make that offer. If anybody could, probably NBC could. Before we uh, wind things down, I did want to touch a bit about the uh, the portfolio of uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, and they house AEW Wrestling, which performs very well on Wednesday nights. They currently have four hours of original programming per week. They look to be adding uh, another program on Saturday nights. And when we're talking about these giant rights fees, a bargain when you look at the performance they have. How familiar are you with AEW? And do you feel that they are something that as Warner Brothers Discovery are trying to slash all of these costs, that it's a it eats up a lot of hours at a relatively low cost for them? 
Yeah, I think AEW is a good example of what makes sense for the for the new WBD. Uh, th- this is a success story for them. They they basically manufactured this content, and um, it, it's been successful. And so as they look into the future, the beauty of it is, is that it, it meshes well with digital assets. So, um, they're going to, they're going to take the Eurosport model of that they own in Europe and they're going to bring something like it to the United States and they're going to create their own tricast system, right? Um, the best they can. They won't have broadcast, but who knows what's going to happen in media realignment, right? But the truth of the matter is, is that the AEW is great content for them. And um, the manufacturing of it was inspired and they, and it made a lot of sense for them to do. So they have to feel very successful with that. Um, obviously, uh, you know, the, the, it, the interesting thing about wrestling is it, it, it has all the elements and advantages of live, um, uh, live television and sports, but it also ha- it has all the uh, uh, greatness of scripted programming, but also all the risks with scripted programming. Um, which is, you know, sometimes uh, the storylines don't work right, <laughs> right? And so, you know, it's, it's. I always tell people wrestling is interesting because uh, you have to have writers, right? And you have to be able to create compelling stories. And, uh, you know, so, most sports manufacture those on their own. And so you need both of them. Then you need talented athletes on top of it, right? I mean, very talented athletes. So, so I, I, I view that as a major success. It's a great example of what people have to do more of. Um, I think as we go forward, media companies probably will look to do that. Uh, but um, but it's been a major success story for them, and, and they're going to absolutely continue to do it. I probably imagine at some point they'll try to find a way to create more hours, in particular for digital assets that they probably plan to launch in the United States. Do you have a, a prediction on what AEW might, might get? They're going to expire probably end of 2024. They're currently getting about $44 million in average annual value. And that's, you know, that's what about a quarter of what say SmackDown gets for, for two hours on, on, on Fox. It's not doing the same rating. Of course, it's doing about half the viewership, but that's, you know, a quarter of the value, about half the viewership or in how much does one extra bidders come into play and just the, the legacy of the brand W is a much longer you know a much longer lasting brand and AEW is very new just like how many how much how much do those things weigh in i think one of the interesting things um for the AEW will be what 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 happens with the wwe if the wwe goes away from broadcast television right um and your turner you know you, you you there's less places to find wrestling now on the best distributed networks right um the fox for for aw if they smack them i don't know i it could open up a relationship with fox maybe not on the broadcasting network but it could open up it could open it up with 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 the other fox assets but i think i think the aew um if i was sitting at turner you know i'd be looking at try to figure out a way to whether there's a larger investment for us here Right. And um, and a lot of that's going to have to do with what their plan for streaming digital distribution is in the United States and what they believe investing in the AWE and, and making it bigger and larger can do with pay-per-views and 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 their own proprietary library content, um, because there's an opportunity there to own this stuff. The one thing about wrestling that that is important um is that it, the library seems to be pretty 
pretty evergreen, right? And um, and and so you know you can mine that, and um, and in a couple more years here, there's going to be a real extensive library for the AEW that you can build, you know, some kind of platform off of. So I, I think they're going to do better than what they're doing now. The question is, what will Turner do? And it's hard for me to see Turner walking away from it or the WBD walking away from it. But at the same time, you know, you get zazzed a lot these days, guys, over there. Um, but by the time they get to the AEW, he will have been done right-siding what he believes the costs are. And they'll get a clean – the nice thing for the AEW is that they're going to get a clean look with a WBD that's kind of got its cost side in order, and they'll be able to do a real valuation exercise. They'll be out of triage mode, and they'll be looking for places to invest, and they're going to get a look at that, and that might be the opportunity for AEW. This led NBA coming up. They'll do AEW. AEW is expiring like a year before NBA, I think. All right. So what year is AEW? So sometimes I get them. 2024, and I think NBA is expiring 25. Yeah, so the so the so I don't know when the exclusive negotiation window for AEW is, but the exclusive negotiating window for NBA is well before twenty five. So, um, so they you know obviously, but when you think about the investment, right? The NBA investment is going to be much more significant than the AEW investment, even if the AEW investment tripled mm-hmm. on an annual basis. So I feel like. The AEW investment is kind of like if we're going to be in the live media business here at the WBD, you know, we should maybe figure out a way to do this, right? Um, and um, and then the NBA is kind of a different thing. The NBA is one of these things where you have like we're going to invest multi billions every year for eight years in this, and that's kind of a different conversation. So. I don't know if the AEW is impacted much by what happens with the NBA. As a matter of fact, if I were AEW, I would, and I wanted to stay with Turner, I'd want Turner to keep the NBA because it means that, you know, the WBD is committed to live sports. Well, Pat, this has been a, uh, just a tremendous discussion. It has been great to, uh, to pick your brain for as long as we have had you. Um, I think we will have to do a, a, re- a return visit. We will uh, come knocking a- at some point uh, in the months to come because this stuff is uh, certainly uh, fascinating to discuss and all the different balls that are going to be in the air. But uh, thank you so much uh, for, for joining us, and uh, I hope we can do it again sometime. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. Great questions. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm happy to talk. Good time. All right. Well, thank you very time, much. The first time we talked, I, I learned so much, and I've, I've been relying on uh, on our conversation ever since for uh, you know talking points on my other well, podcasts. Well, I, I I appreciate a great deal, Brandon. I learn a lot from following you on Twitter, and I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much, Pat. Have a great one. We'll talk soon. Okay, guys. Take care. Bye. Well, there you have it. A college level course. We're going to be having an exam for all the listeners now at the end where we are going to go through that. I learned a ton just uh, just listening to all of that. This is somebody that was an executive at Fox for years in the rooms for a lot of these negotiations. And, you know, from like my perspective, somebody like right up close and personal with the UFC deal um, at, at Fox during during his tenure there and throwing out a lot of interesting scenarios there. But one being that, you know, as we have discuss Brandon like AEW is a great great value for Warner Brothers Discovery and it's been backed up by their commitment of just adding on 
more hours of content with this yet to be announced Saturday show expected to be the next two hours. Yeah, it's it's going to be more content, more hours. We were talking about it on Sunday. It's still, even when you add in, so we get two hours for Don and Mike, another one for Rampage, up to three. If Assuming the Saturday show is just one hour, you're up to four hours of, of in-ring content, not counting all access or things like that. Um, that's, you know, just Raw and SmackDown alone are five weekly. And then you add in NXT, that's seven. I mean, just to compare the two wrestling companies, AEW would still be well behind the weekly hours of, of WWE. Um, but yeah, we're in this era, I think, where tonnage, you heard the word, the buzzword tonnage. Lately. Tonnage. That is, uh, we, we, we give them tonnage. We give them more and more hours of content. And there's there's a cost to that, I think. Like, are you, is it going to wear down your fans? Is it going to dilute your, your ratings in, in your other shows? Um, but it's it's something that these that the networks want because it'll probably do a better rating. I would think at least certainly at first that Saturday show is going to do a better rating than the rerun movie that they're going to play, uh, you know, this coming Saturday. So we'll see how it goes. And there's also the the other side of the, this whole coin of these escalating rights fees and the amount of money being sunk into these uh, you know streaming outfits, and we're seeing that directly this week with the latest. ESPN layoffs. I think I saw the figure that of the past like five series of layoffs that this has been pretty much every other year, it's something like 1300 jobs that have been, you know, that, that have been lost uh, during all of this. And that seems like that's going to be a continual theme for a lot of these broadcasters uh, as they're looking at all of this before we, uh, for WWE uh, in in a little while, but and just, just one other thing that comes to mind uh, following that conversation is focused so much on somebody buying WWE over the last several months, obviously. And if you look at the sort of relatively nascent state that AEW is in, if you're WBD, although you're, you are in this fiscally conservative mode since, since their merger, wouldn't you want to own AEW? Because it's... It was one of the subjects I, I think has not been talked about enough is the idea of where you see a UFC... And if you were Disney, would you not have wanted to have bought UFC back in 2019 when this deal started versus now that it would probably be out like UFC has just grown to such a mammoth degree. WWE has grown to such a mammoth degree. AEW is still in a relatively embryonic stage that the idea of buying it outright now, like what would that valuation be for AEW? It would be something I think any broadcaster would be looking at and warner brothers discovery i mean i don't know what their idea of like acquisitions would be given their current state but i would think like that's a natural conversation that you want you know if you're tony khan and shad khan you don't need the money you know you've got i believe the cons have way way more than enough money to finance this indefinitely are there other advantages that aew as an entity would gain by being owned by wbd I don't know, but that's something to think about. You know what? I was thinking of this week, just in regards to to Cody Rhodes and such. That what a what an interesting what if if you know Cody and the Elite end up getting some kind of equity stake when this started because that was one of the yeah, questions points. when AEW started, like of them getting some kind of points, and it was made clear at the beginning they they did not have any equity stake, but it would have made Cody's exit a lot more tricky, and certainly you would not have had this. 
uh, fear of losing the, these talents that if they have stake in the company, it's, it's a much more, you're tied in that much more and what this could sell for. Even if you're talking like one to 5% of the company among those guys. Right. Like, I mean, even think about that from WWE's perspective. If, you know, if Cody leaves, if he did leave AEW as a talent, if, which we don't think he does, if he had points in AEW still, do you want to hire somebody who has an interest in your competence? It certainly sounds like a financial conflict of interest. Let's talk a bit about this lawsuit that was filed on behalf of uh, former WWE writer Brittany Abrahams. Uh, Brandon, both of, I, both of us have had a chance to go through this suit, and it's uh, there's quite a lot to it. So it's a civil suit. Uh, Brittany Abrahams uh, worked with the company from November of 2020 until April of 2022, and the defendants listed in the suit are WWE, Vincent Stephanie McMahon, uh, senior writers Chris Dunn and Jen Pepperman, lead writers Mike Heller, Ryan Callahan, and Christine Lubrano, who is their SVP of Creative Writing Relations. And she is claiming discriminatory treatment, treatment harassment, hostile work environment, wrongful termination, and unlawful retaliation against the plaintiff due to her race, color, and gender. She was one of the few black writers on the staff, along with uh, Kyla Silvers, who is also listed as one of the witnesses um, in this uh, suit. And goes over several instances, including um, dialogue that was written for Bianca Belair, a storyline involving Reggie uh, dressing up in drag, which never did get onto television, but was pitched in a Slack chat. And then others involving a Shane Thorne, who would be given a hunting gimmick where he would be hunting wrestlers and would go to hunt Reggie and putting him in a cage was discussed. Uh, we also had, and this is the one that will probably get uh, a lot of attention, was the idea of a love triangle involving Aaliyah, Angel Garza, and Mons- Mansoor, now of the maximum male models, where Mansoor would have a deep, dark secret. And one of the writers pitched the idea, what if his secret is that he was behind the 9-11 attacks? That's what the complaint says. And there's there's other talent mentioned the Apollo Crews using the Nigerian accent. Which we did see. Uh, Yes, uh, the uh, there's a there's mention of a of a comment or a line that that Bianca Belair was scripted to say something about taking her earrings off, and uh, and, and Bianca Belair complain like that is you had Bianca Belair allegedly complaining multiple times about not wanting to state this line yeah. and also hearing from black performers that that felt like they were not being heard and issues with their portrayals. So this is this is very much um, a suit that does sort of look at the the writing for minorities, for people of color in this company and who are in these rooms, what voices are being heard. I, I don't know what ultimately the, this case will result in, but it is going to lead, I think, to an examination of just the the writer's room as well. It raises a question, just, you know, what's the demographic makeup of, of the writing team? We think it's some somewhere upward of 20 people who were on the writing team. Um, my impression for years and years is that there were few women on the writing team. That seems to have changed. If, if only going by the, the names in, in this complaint, there are, are at least some women. But I think it raises questions about how, how many people of color are on this writing team that's writing content for a very diverse cast of talent. Yeah. And I think that there are, you know, degrees to this. Like you can certainly look at things that are just outright can be classified as racist. And I think there's also more nuanced things just in terms of, for instance, a 
a white writer that is not going to be um, from from the same sort of upbringing, the same kind of experiences that uh, a performer that is a minority has not been through and that you are writing for. And it it's just a case of ignorance or just unaware of those experiences as well. But it's it's an interesting case to look at. And uh, the, the final thing was just her dismissal that came just after WrestleMania last year and essentially being reprimanded over taking one of those commemorative chairs that you can get ringside at WrestleMania that she stated several of the writers took, including herself, and then was reprimanded over and then terminated on April the 7th, believing that she was singled out over this. So it's a, a case that has a lot to it, uh, but very much examining the writing process. We will see where this is going to go. She is seeking uh, punitive and uh, declaratory damages and seeking a trial for this, which I don't know if that's how her, far it will reach. Her termination is, is framed by her as, as retaliation for her pushing back against. The, Ideally the looking creative. at this is just, yeah, the a reason this, for them to get rid of her. by her. Is, yeah. Right. Just a, just a front to give, give them some reason to fire her. And they, she presents all these other situations in which writers had previously taken a WrestleMania commemorative chair without consequence. But, but this was something that she was reportedly fired over. We also have an email from Nick Khan. Do you want me to read this email to you, uh, Brandon? We are all fortunate. Let's all hear it. This is from Nick Khan, courtesy of PW Insider. We are all fortunate. We are all fortunate to be three years, one month, and 14 days removed from the moment where stay-at-home orders were put in place. So definitely was he was getting on Google. Like, when can we make this? Three-year period sound the absolute longest. It, you Can break you it down by year, month, and day. How many hours since that stay-at-home order? How many seconds? They're ticking. Business is shuttered, some permanently, and sports seasons canceled. Of course, at WWE, and thanks to all of you, we continue to move forward, never missing a week of production in the safest way possible. As I have had the good fortune of meeting with so many of you over the last few months, it has become apparent to me that our business thrives on creativity and an unparalleled work ethic. All of us physically together is a part of that. As such, we will be going back to what has always been the case prior to COVID, which is a return to five days a week in office. Nothing replaces our ability to interact with one another as we collectively continue to build and represent our company. We will all connect better and be better. Monday, May 1st, we will start our full-time return to office. For those based in Stanford, our first group has moved to our new HQ, and the rest of us will be there shortly. We thank you for your patience with this process. If you have not seen it yet, it's a spectacular workspace that we believe you will be quite proud of. Thank you for all. Nick, come back um, where our disgraced chairman uh, will be there on a daily basis, and uh, it's better that we're all, that we're all interacting on a daily basis. Yeah, so I, I was told that there was a, an employee survey some months back, I believe, sometime after Vince was gone, and, they, and employees were surveyed about, among other things, how they felt about flexible work or work from home, and since you might expect, it was very popular, so. I think, to, at least to some degree, this is being met with some unhappiness with with the employees, um, and you can view it as you know maybe let's uh, apply some discomfort. Let's find out who's really enthusiastic about being here in this workplace because if people quit, you probably don't have to pay them severance, and you're probably going to lay off a lot of people when the merger uh, starts to to really go into effect. No, they said everything's going to be everything's going to be run just like before, Brandon. It's just. Just we're under new ownership. That's it. Business as usual. Yeah. You're right, though. This, I mean, if this does curb um, 
any percentage of people that do not want to come back to work, it does lessen what are inevitable that the, these cuts are coming. Uh, they also have this giant new headquarters that they have sunk millions and millions of dollars into. And this was a project pre-pandemic and one that they are obviously want bodies in these headquarters. So this is something many, many businesses are going through at the moment. And there's been a lot of resistance, like the idea of these, um, you know, giant headquarters and office spaces. Like it, it does make me wonder 10 to 15 years from now, like what the office space culture is, is going to be when we have gone through a much more, when you're talking about uh, cuts and just financial, you know, cutting that, People that can work at home, that can be viewed as an asset from for many businesses as well. In this new new headquarters is costing them a lot. It's something that's discussed uh, every earnings call. I'm sure it'll be discussed again uh, next week. And you know, I think to to some degree, you probably feel like, well, we might as well justify the cost. It's it's not something that they in all likelihood need or would have planned if they knew that they were going to definitely do a merger like they have, because the last thing you need when you're going to cut a lot of people is a lot more off the space. The last question before we let you go, Brandon, what is the topic from season four of dark side of the ring that has your interest? Have you seen the 10 confirmed topics? I have seen it. I'm going to have to remind myself. I saw you tweeted earlier. We've got Chris Candido and Tammy Sitch, Magnum mm-hmm. TA, Adrian Adonis, Doink the Clown, they don't specify which Doink the Clown. I assume this is going to yeah. be a Matt Bourne centric episode. Junkyard Dog, Marty Janetti. I, I, I hope they they you know bring in uh, you know the modern day Doinks, the Doinks that are Alabama Doink and all, all the Doinks that are that are working the Indies. Then now forever together Doink, uh, Marty Janetti, Bam Bam Bigelow, Abdullah the Butcher, Bash at the Beach two thousand. One of these is not mm-hmm. like the other. And the Graham family, um, Eddie Graham, Mike Graham, um, yeah. Bash at the Beach 2000, <laughs> it just kind of sticks out. Like this is, there's going to be a lot of depressing stories in this uh, season. And then there's Bash at the Beach 2000, which maybe that's there for some levity. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get Vince Russo to, to talk about it. Um, maybe Magnum TA. It, it, that seems like one of the, the topics here that's not been uh, been done quite a bit. And he's, you know, he's obviously still around. The Graham family is like, you have not had like a really deep look at Eddie Graham. Uh, There was a uh, championship wrestling from Florida documentary a few years ago that high spots did, but it is, if you're not familiar, like it's such a sad story. Like Eddie Graham, the famous promoter uh, killed himself in 1985. And then his son, Mike Graham, um, first of all, his son, Mike Graham's son took his life. And then two years later, Mike Graham took his own life. Like you have like three generations of, um, of death here. And it's, it's just a horrible story. Like I can't imagine this one is not going to be a very heavy, the very much in the, in the vein of the Von Eric story. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a lot of, uh, you know, it's sort of like the, the observer tributes book here. We're getting all the subjects of, of people who have died at, at, at pretty young ages uh, in, in wrestling. So there you go. That's coming up uh, May 30th. Vice TV will have that, but Thursday nights, it is the Thursday 30, and we have got Brandon Thurston uh, coming at you, where I'm sure that there will be many more stories to come over the next 48 hours. Um, are we going to get 30 minutes dissecting CM Punk's travel log from Monday, from Florida to Chicago, into the Allstate Arena, out of the Allstate Arena, and to his local um, local home, I guess, to watch the NHL playoffs that night? I don't think he's being tracked, but um, we'll, we'll see. Um 
there's a big announcement coming up tonight on Dynamite, right? What's the big announcement? Big about, big announcement. What's the, what's the about, drop down uh, menu state? What, what where are we going? What are we going to be talking about tonight from Tony Khan? Is it the new TV show? I would think that they're going to wait until May seventeenth until the upfront to reveal that. But what if what if he announces we have a new show, but we're not going with Collision? It is AEW Tonnage. That'd be good. I haven't seen a, a trademark filing for that though. There you go, Dynamite and Tonnage Coterminous AEW flagships uh, coming coming your way potentially. Well, uh, I want to give all credit to Brandon Thurston who uh, brought Pat Crakes onto the show. Um, I was a uh, I was very much uh, looking forward to this discussion with him. I did. Uh, I, I had to go back and learn a bit about Pat Craig's of like, what a, what an interesting life that this man has had. He served in the military, then goes to Fox sports, rises up the ranks. I mean, that that's quite the career pivot. Yeah, certainly. All right. Um, yeah. He's, he's just somebody who I, who's who suggested to me a couple of years ago that I get in touch with. This was in the, the, the height of the um, key demo debate. I guess. And I mean, I needed somebody, someone of credibility to explain to me whether the key demo really mattered or how it mattered, why it mattered. Did does P2 plus the total viewership matter as well? And that's where, you know, he, he explained to me among other things that, you know, um, sort of what we were talking about earlier in terms of carriage fees or retransmission fees that programs help networks and their portfolio of networks. So I just imagine like a big folder portfolio of portfolios of networks make deals with say direct tv or your local cable system to pay them for the right to carry usa network or fox or you name the the entire you know the entire portfolio or conglomerate of, of networks when they make those deals what, so what do you think the some... moral of that story was p2 plus matters to that extent if wrestling companies are able to contribute to that, which is kind of an open question, I think, still. Like, there, there could be ways in which Raw and or SmackDown contribute to that. Maybe that's, it's, is it considered sports programming that contributes to a minimum of X hours of sports programming that the network has to provide to the carrier? All of these deals will be different. You know, Fox has, a, you know, a bunch of different deals across the U.S., and so does every other conglomerate, I would imagine. What do you think the average uh, citizen in Buffalo would react if they got their notice from their local carrier that your uh, your cable fee has gone up uh, 25 cents because SmackDown has been renewed and you are now required to play, pay an extra quarter um, for WWE wrestling? On- do you think they have that muscle that they'll be like, can't can't go without my Friday night SmackDown? Depends on the age. I think you know, older people will, will hold on to the bundle longer and younger people are, are more apt to, in general, to, to cut it. Um, and we'll see how long it takes before um, those core cutting numbers plateau. I don't know. Next week, Brandon and I are going to be back because it's a very busy day on Wednesday. Uh, Brandon and I will not be reviewing Wrestling Dontaku, but we will be talking about the Q1 earnings report that WWE will be holding Cross my fingers, it is still scheduled for 8.30 in the morning. We are planning to be live next Wednesday. It's going to stay that way. I'm hoping so, because we are planning to be live at around 1 Eastern, the same time slot next Wednesday. We'll go through the earnings call, the whether or not Vince McMahon is there. I'm thinking not, but who knows? This will be the first call since the the merger. So I'm sure Nick Khan will be um, 
in fine form. We will see if he is in light shed form or if he is just in um, regular media appearance, Nick Khan mode. I'm thinking the latter. I think the latter. There'll be, of course, there will be prepared statements and then there will be Q and A, and I'm sure he will uh, answer all questions carefully. Yeah, it's it's amazing the power of uh, Brandon Ross's words. Of you guys know, I interviewed Nick Khan, right? And boom, the Nick Khan yeah. interview is on is on. On, on, it's a treasure trove there that we found. So was uh, all the aggregators covered that? Was that not behind like a paywall or a login wall? Because everybody linked to it. Everyone linked to it. I mm. I thought it was behind a paywall. Me too, but I don't I don't know. I mean, I think everybody. I think you you covered it first, or or you know, actually Neil Flanagan typed up something on it, you know, wrote something on it, and uh, everyone flowed from there. It's a. Uh... Uh, uncovering the, uh, the the light shed uh, media call with uh, Nick Khan, which was quite the interesting chat. So we will have plenty of Nick Khan to speak about next week. You can follow patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, where you get the WrestleNomics 30 every Thursday with Brandon and the Pro Wrestling Industry Report for 2022. Brandon's graphs in fine form, breaking down every single company, every metric you could want, um, this is stuff that I I think executives at every company would want to be signing up for to figure out how their business is doing. Um, this is uh, certainly, I imagine, a labor of love, Brandon, that you put into this, but it's excellent. I cannot recommend it enough to people. In other years, it has been upward of 60, 70 pages last year. This year, it's 20-something pages. Uh, I Yes, I'm releasing an annual report here in late April. Um, I didn't think I was going to get it done. I I think I was just busy with other stuff and reporting ratings and reporting on uh, the merger and, and other stuff that was going on. So I didn't know if I was going to get it done. And then uh, I still have to reply to an email that somebody sent me. It was like, Hey, do you have anything that uh, compares uh, W and AW? And I was like, you know what? Let me just make up a bunch of slides real quick. And it's, it's always something that I think is going to take, like this will take an hour or something. And, but it's, and then it ended up being only a few days. So, one suggestion, I think for value. For future years, I think you need to have the, co- the 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 cover figure, much like WWE puts out. Who will Brandon put on the cover each year? But th- th- that that opens up a, an intellectual property can of worms. What, what, I'm going to monetize and sell a PDF that contains a picture. Who owns that picture? No, no, a drawing. Okay, separate art. A drawing. Yes. Does a does a drawing count as someone's likeness? Though should they be getting royalties for that? I think I think that's you. You could pay the artist. We could we could all do a little fundraiser. We could get you artwork, okay. Okay. and then we could put Roman Reigns right next to Tony Khan, and they're both holding up the one. And that could be that could be year two thousand twenty three and beyond. That's an idea. On that note, we are going to sign off. A big thank you to Pat Craigs for joining us, and all of you. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. The spreadsheet is growing. I have added some more names uh, that Brandon is going to seek out. We, yeah, we have, we have years worth of guests, everyone, that we are going to go through. So lots of uh, interesting people, and we are open to suggestions as well. So that's going to wrap things up. Uh, we are back tonight, myself and Wei Ting with Rewinded Dynamite. We will be live here on this channel on the post YouTube at 10 Eastern following Dynamite in Sunrise, Florida. So we will speak with you then, and that is going to wrap things up. Thank you for tuning in.